after shit, I just quit my job. I'm Maricela Herrera, and I'm so happy you're here. Thanks for tuning in. How are you all doing? Week, what is it, week three of the year? I heard somewhere that this Monday, it was Monday, January 15th, is considered to be the saddest day of the year. I kind of want to do some research into that because I've never heard it. And I could see reasons why it would be. Like I, if I think of just psychologically how we all work, I could see why, you know, in many places like where I am today, it's the dead of winter. But also you have all this pressure from the new year. And by the third week, if you made resolutions, you very likely already messed some of those up. Hopefully not. That's why I don't make resolutions. But if you do, good for you. I don't know. I want to look more into it. I'm very curious about that idea. I have been feeling a little bit in a funk. I'm not going to lie. But I think I attribute that to coming back to the cold. I don't like the cold, guys. I really don't. It's not my thing. And the short days and just... I don't know. They they do a number on me. So what I've been doing to get myself out of that funk is, well, I've been running because, yes, I run. I've been giving myself a break. Uh, so try not to be so hard on myself. I've treated myself to anything I want to eat. I'm also trying to get stuff moving. And among the, the things that I'm trying to get moving is getting back and to a rhythm with this podcast. I've said this before. I love doing this. I love talking to people and asking them questions and finding out about their lives and sharing that with all of you so that we don't, you know, we all remember we're not alone. But I have been a little behind. I haven't gotten back into the full recording mode. So what you're listening to are episodes that I had recorded last year. Uh, this one specifically that you're going to listen to today has quite the history. <laughs> today you're going to hear my conversation with Dina Bakowitz. Dina is a little fireball of energy. She is a coach, a networking coach, and a consultant. And she does lots of things. She's a dancer. She's a comedian. She's just so open, so honest, so warm, and so such a connector. Every time I talk to her immediately, I know I'm going to get, you should meet with this person and this person and this person. And she does such a good job of sharing those connections and, and bringing people together. This episode is has been a long time in the making because we first recorded this one a few months ago. And technology being what technology is, lo and behold, the episode didn't work. There were huge chunks missing in the recording, only of Dina's part. So it was all messed up. So I asked Dina, hey, can we do it again? So we did. We recorded it again, and it happened again. The good thing is both Dina and I are well-prepared individuals. So I had 
recorded on my phone and she had recorded using um, a separate platform on her end as well. So I was able to pull it all together and make it work. It was a lot of magic putting this together, a lot of time, a lot of effort, but I think we have something good here. We have an episode filled with random stuff (laughs) because we go everywhere, but filled with really vulnerable and honest conversation, which is what I love. And some great advice on personal branding and some great advice on connecting with people. And and I think, I think there's something really great. So I hope you enjoyed this episode and see you next time. Introduce yourself to our audience. Tell us a little bit about you and what okay. you do. Tell me about yourself. This I don't know if this is LinkedIn version, dating app version, cocktail party version, but It's shit I just quit my job version, so you can do whatever you want. Oh, so I've had multiple careers um, already in a new, hey, what do I want to do next with my life phase? I am an extrovert. I love people. Regardless of what job I'm in, what city, what I'm doing, it is all about connecting with people and connecting people. I am currently a remote New Yorker. Hopefully, eventually, I will take my title back as a New Yorker. I am a comedian, which is something I took up by accident while leaving a singles party. I stumbled upon a comedy show and was asked to perform the following week. And that's how I got into comedy. And I'm also a coach and a speaker and a consultant and an artist and a human being and a friend and a daughter and an aunt and a connector and a fireball. I'm a fireball. You are a fireball, uh, which was the name of your company for a long time. It is. It's my brand. And it was, in fact, appropriately for this podcast, was one of my bosses, my favorite, one of my favorite bosses who gave me the name Fireball. She was giving me a recommendation for another consulting job. And I walked into the guy's office and he reads the recommendation. And she said, she's a little fireball of energy. Hire her. You are a little fireball of energy. And the name stuck with me. So all those years later, when I launched this brand and this collaborative company, I didn't want to name it Dina Bakowitz and Associates. I just didn't. But fireball was me, but network is everyone else. And it's that energy. And part of, you know, whatever job you're in, whether you quit, change in careers, all the things that we go through in life is knowing who you are. What do you bring to the table? What are your strengths and superpowers? And for me, it always took someone else reflecting that back to me and telling me who I was. Not that I didn't know, but I wasn't always, I was not always this confident, assertive fireball that people know and see me as. It is authentic now. But I was a very insecure, timid, shy, meek, submissive frizzball growing up. I was bullied and teased. And even though inside I was an extrovert, I loved people, I wasn't comfortable around people. I didn't have a lot of friends. And even though I wanted to be assertive and advocate for myself, for others, I didn't have the tools, the words, the skills. So that progression and transformation and learning curve for me was a really big deal. And 
moving to New York, I moved to New York in 1999. I networked my way into a job. New York is everything for me because it, it helped me be me. It helped me grow into Fireball. And I found who I was reflected in the people around me because everyone in New York is different and from somewhere else and has a different experience. It's just so, for lack of a better word, diverse and eclectic and broad. And so when I met new people who took me out of what, I, you know, when you grow up in certain communities or circumstances where everyone's supposed mm -hmm. to look and act and think and be the same, and I never fit in. I, I fit in, but maybe I didn't belong. Like I fit into the arts community, but not 100% because I was also in business. I mean, fit into the business community, but it was a little bit weird and artsy to completely belong. And then I was in social work. I was a medical social worker. And I, I fit in with the, the nurturing and the health advocacy, but also I didn't completely fit in because I had the business and the arts. And now it seems... Like, that's not a big deal. Everyone's a multi-hyphenate, multi-potentialite. We all do different things. But at least for the way I grew up and because I kept changing careers, I never quite felt like I really belonged to one specific segment or sector. And what I realize now, because other people made me realize it, is that's a strength and a skill set. It's different. It's unique. The fact that I have this broad network across health and the arts and business and advocacy and comedy in New York and Canada brings resources and people together that someone who is a specialist might not have. I love to join new groups. Like, I won't go anywhere. I don't, I don't need to be in the sector. You tell me there's a conference, I'll just go. <laughs> That's who I am. I really am about connecting with people and helping people connect because relationships of all types, business relationships, personal relationships, friendships, romantic relationships, that it, for me, that's beginning, middle, and end. With, without relationships in our life, it doesn't matter. Nothing else. I think pandemic has taught us all that isolation and loneliness, I mean, the loneliness epidemic now is, the, the U.S. Surgeon General has come out saying it is one of the greatest, if not the greatest health crisis we are facing. The effect of loneliness is like smoking yeah. a pack a day. And then what it translates into, how you take the loneliness and the opposite, the connection, relationships, connection, support. So whether it's a support group for, I, I used to facilitate support groups in healthcare and I created conferences and now it's facilitating workshops or women's networks or any type. Bringing people together helps not just with the social aspect of health, but from a very practical standpoint, right? In business, you find a partner, a collaborator, a client, someone to give you advice. It, it just leads to everything. So, Yeah. There are a few things that you just said that ever since I know you, as you're talking and introducing yourself, to me are like standing out. How you described yourself first as being shy and timid and meek and now being, you know, doing comedy and being such an extrovert. How did you build that confidence? Because you said it took you a really long time and it was a big process. And related to that, you said, you know, you have to know your superpowers. And for you, it was people pointing them out. I have heard 
so many people that I've talked to through this podcast say, you know, know your strengths, know your superpower. I am still at the point where I'm like, I think I kind of get some, but I don't really know if they are. And and I'm trying to, I guess my question goes to how do you do that? How do you discover those? That's That's a great question, right? It really is. And how do you figure it out? Right. And so for me... There were some things I knew inherently, like I always knew I had great ideas, but I didn't know how to articulate that in a job interview. It sounded stupid, at least mm -hmm. back then. Fast forward what I learned later. Um, so one of the tools would be personality assessments, all those tests, like some of them, you know, Myers-Briggs, extrovert versus introvert. It, it's not binary. It's a spectrum. We all have mm -hmm. different elements. I mean, on the spectrum of extrovert versus introvert, I'm pretty extreme. I call myself an extreme extrovert. So I just, I get my energy. But so yes, assessments can help. And for me, Strengths Finder was one of the most insightful, life-changing. I finally had the words and the context and a framework to articulate. Okay. Ideation is my number one strength. And being able to explain it because someone else did the research. Research, not one of my strengths. Well, I research by talking to people. And so for me, everything is in context and in relation to other people who want to serve. So right. when a group of people whose strengths were all in the intellectual and input and research and knowledge said, oh, can you come to our meetings and take notes and give us a to-do list? I was like, oh, I love taking notes. It helps me stay organized. And I love putting together to-do lists and delegating to people with different to their strengths. Right. So it wasn't, oh, you're different than us. It was you have different skills mm -hmm. that we need. But I wouldn't have known that without other people reflecting it back. And and I think to discover our superpowers, yes, there's a lot of soul searching and there's lots of exercises and framework, like the Pixar framework I learned from someone. Not surprisingly, it's you know, it's storytelling, it's entertainment. But using that really helped me explain, okay, how do I how do people interact with me? How do people see me? And then, and asking, quite frankly, people what they think your superpowers and talents are. You got to be willing to listen to the feedback. Then. And you have to mm -hmm. know who it's coming from. So someone who's known you since you were a kid may have a different take. Yeah. And, and then you got to put it all together and decide. And also, what are your superpowers in which parts of your life? Right. Everything is in yeah. context. Um. I'm going to go back to the qu first question I asked you, which I didn't even let you answer because I jumped to the next one, which was, how did you get out of your own way in terms of being shy and develop such confidence that you now have? The first thing is time. Who we are at six years old is not who we are at 60, 26. I mean, some of the elements are the same, but it time and just growing up and taking chances, I didn't know I had ADHD until a few years ago. So that was a massive revelation. And that also has helped me, even from things I was still insecure about, like masking and hiding and not sharing certain things with people. I've always been authentically who I am in terms of being an extrovert. And yes, authentically confident for the most part overall. What you see is what you get. And yet there's layers. Like we don't show every to everybody. Right. So time, environment, moving to New York. As I said, because I got validation from total strangers about how I showed up. 
And it wasn't in context of your somebody's daughter, granddaughter, sister, neighbor, niece. It was just, you just show up, you know, what you see is what you get. And so that helped um, changing environments for me, getting out of what I grew up with and, and moving past that. And even to an earlier extent, after high school, when a lot of my friends all went to the same college, I went to a different one because I was studying theater. And it was just far away, so I didn't have the the crutch or the, not so much a crutch, but even knowing a few people, I knew one other person. She and I went to that college together, and she was in science. So I think we either shared a locker or would see each other maybe once a day, but that was it. I was in a class once, theater class, with a woman. She goes, you know, I always thought you were such a snob because you walked up and down the hallway and you didn't talk to anybody. I said, I didn't have any friends. I didn't know anybody. You were there with your friends. Why didn't you come up to me and say hi? And so realizing that sometimes, what, I, I was just terrified. I, I wasn't presenting as a snob. I, if anybody had said hello to me, I would have been like, yes. So that kind of self-awareness as well, changing your body language, taking chances, just going to a new school, even though it's scary because I didn't know anyone, I had to take that risk. Also for me, I was always comfortable on stage. That was true. I started hmm. dancing when I was little. My mom put me in dance class. And I loved the arts and theater. And for whatever reason, maybe because it was just me on stage, that was a place of confidence. And I, I took tried to take that into other areas. And then the other thing I did was, how do you use your story and your experience as a model for others? How do I use it to serve? Because for me, still, anything in isolation is not only boring, but depressing and isolating and goes right back to the oh I have no friends I'm alone nobody wants me nobody likes me nobody (laughs) so being able to say well at least I can help someone with my story and share it for a purpose not a narcissist look at me look at me oh I need to tell my story I did not share a lot of personal even though I was confident and extroverted and you know on lots and lots of committees and bringing my marketing talents and my creativity I still didn't share a lot of personal things but when I started to, and people reacted, like when I started talking about dating, and you're like, oh my God, tell us your dating story. They're hilarious. Okay, it's all right to share. It normalizes it. So I want to talk about your career journey because we're talking about quitting and about changing jobs. So since I've known you, which has been a while, you've always been an entrepreneur, right? What were you doing before, actually? The third time I quit my job, so I'm going to back it up for a minute. I was working at a global advertising agency in Montreal. This is 1999. I was in pharmaceutical advertising. And I said to my boss, I need a personal day. She said, what for? I said, it's personal. She said, is it medical? I said, no, it's personal. It is not your fucking business. (laughs) Okay. You know, I could have gotten a doctor's own. I had friends who were doctors. And on principle, I was just like, no, it's personal. I need, I gave her enough. You know, so I'd been at the company for three full months. It was a day, two to three weeks later. It was a Monday. She said, if you take the day off on Monday, don't come back. And I said, okay. Wow. So that was me quitting. Like, I had a choice. I could have not taken the personal day. I didn't. But I made the decision in that moment to say, I'm taking the day and I'm taking it off. Like, I'm not coming back. Okay. She gave me a choice to quit or not quit. And the reason I needed that personal day was I had already lined up a bunch of meetings in New York. 
information interviews, mm -hmm. not no guaranteed job. This is 1990, October 1999, excuse me, October 1999. And I just lined up meetings to look into the possibility of working on Broadway, marketing and advertising promotions in the Broadway community. And I just said, you know what? Timing, instinct, it was up a really horrifically toxic work environment. I'd only been there three months, but I knew I wasn't going to stay there anyhow. But, it, it, you know, I had I'd landed that job. I was already transitioning between four other careers that I'd quit two other jobs. <laughs> Which I'm curious about because I don't think we've ever talked about you doing social work. I actually didn't know quit that. Quit that job, too. And that was my boss who named me Fireball, though. Oh, really? That was the second job I quit. Funny story. I mean, unusual. I had taken my vacation and I was going to Ireland with dancing with the Irish. I was seeing Irish dancing and the school I was dancing with um, and the fiddler who I was dating at the time. And <laughs> and so I said, oh, I'm taking two weeks to go to Ireland. And she's like, that's a, and I'm a grown up by now, not like a 12 year old, right? I'm working. And she's like, that's amazing. Mm -hmm. Have a great uh, vacation. You know, when you come back, well, we took a little summer break, and I called her while I was on vacation. And this was back when you had to like find a phone and wait half an hour, late nineties, and said, um, "I'm taking an extra. I need to take an extra week off. I'm going to France, to Paris with the French fiddler I was dating and his family." And she's like, "Oh, that's cool. That's great. I, you know, I endorse that." <laughs> and then I said, "And I'm giving you my two week, three months notice." I decided to go back to, to get my official degree in social work. But, okay. you know, I, I made that decision. I'm still quitting a paid job, a new career, right. to go a little bit backwards and just get the piece of paper to validate what I'd already been doing. And she said, I, I understand and I appreciate that. And I knew that this job would be short-term for you. I always saw you moving on to do more because it was a consulting job. It wasn't 1,000% full-time, but it, I had three other consulting jobs, so I had to quit them all. And, and ironically, the reason I met the fiddler in the dance school was because we booked them to perform at the hospital. Like, I still talk about my dating life on stage, at work, on LinkedIn, because it's it's professional and personal. Or you cannot separate them. And I joke that I have no boundaries in my life. I mean, or very, very few boundaries between the personal and the professional. And I think pandemic, especially for all of us, broke down so many of the artificial barriers yeah. and so because we all have insecurities and we've all been through all types of trauma globally personally being able to be that authentic on a platform like linkedin on a blog in a podcast for me it has been so freeing even in the past three years i got more confident than i was when you met me in new york because i got more honest like really Hopefully not TMI. I mean, the, the TMI stuff, I that, I think that's the stage. If anybody wants to know the really filthy material, <laughs> the real dating story, you've got to come catch me in a comedy show um, because there are some boundaries. But being able to normalize that and say we're all going through different degrees of it and realizing, though, it's, risk, it's risky to share so much about your personal life. And I didn't lose any friends. I didn't lose clients or the respect of colleagues. I thought I might. And so that taught me, oh, wow, people really are forgiving and understanding and caring. And no one's perfect. And that is the biggest thing that people struggle with. We worry if they see 
our faults, our insecurities, our weaknesses. They're not going to like us. Like With networking, everyone worries, oh, I'm going to walk into a networking event and they're not going to like me. They're going to call me a loser. You know, you like high school. You can't sit with us. You're not a cool kid. I went through that in high school. I went through that in elementary school. Been there, done that. What's the worst that can happen? I know how to get through it. But it doesn't, we don't do that as grown up so much, hopefully. Yeah. So that's very strange. Yeah. yeah, it's hard to, it takes a lot of courage to show yourself the way you are. But I think it has a lot of value for everyone because we all have different struggles and different things. And being open and honest and transparent makes everything more enriching, in my opinion, at least. You know, I never thought about it this way, but I think I identify with being more honest as a way of being more confident. I think I became more confident the more I decided to show myself the way I am. But let's go back to quitting. So <laughs> to your point, even the way you named your show, Shit, I Quit My Job, that is empowering because you're revealing the fear and the terror and the insecurity about it. And you make it funny. Like, as soon as you post it, I'm like, Marisol, that is the best title ever. <laughs> like, how can I support you? And at first, I didn't think I'd quit any jobs. It, it didn't occur to me. I had to start. Oh, and the, and the other job I quit was the, when I was working in, um, in marketing at an engineering firm. I've been like three and a half years, and I quit that to go volunteer at a nursing home. You quit to go volunteer. Because I wanted to get into social work. Before we go into that question, I do want to point out, you just said, you know, I, you didn't think you had quit. It's funny how uh, people, when they talk to me about maybe being on the podcast, they're like, but I haven't quit anything. And then they're like, oh, no, actually I have. Or I made the decision to do this, which then led to me doing something else. I've been fired. I've been let go. I've been laid off. Those are much more painful because quitting is in your control. Mm -hmm. You make the decision. I mean, you, me. And I think with the three times that I quit, it was not so much that I was leaving something that was so certain. It was a natural progression. It was time to move forward and try something else. So I was looking forward to something and I put thought into it. When I left the engineering firm, I knew that working for scientists and technical people, yes, I, as an extrovert and a marketer and a creative, I had role to play there and I brought value, but I would, there was a limit to how far up the chain I could go because it's still not my expertise. So I decided that I needed to do something that's aligned even more with my real passion and helping people. Yes, it was scary because I wasn't sure what would happen next. And I was much younger. I was still in my 20s. But it was a decision to try something new. And then yeah. when I left quitting this wonderful, like my boss who named me Fireball, that was one of my best jobs ever because she gave me an entire department. She hired me as a shit disturber. Slash, quote, unquote, change agent. I know that feeling. <laughs> I've done that. Gave <laughs> us what was effed up. And, and that's also where I got a lot of confidence because she gave me all the freedom I wanted was all the support I needed to keep on my skills. And she says, I love your ideas. You're going to make them happen. Go. I trust you. I'm giving you, you know, some resources. You'll figure it out. And there are so many stories from that job that are still valid to today. And then I really, I love that job. So leaving it was hard, but I also knew I had a plan for my future and getting 
a social work degree. I'd already had my undergraduate degree, but the social work degree was was that tangible to to support. And I didn't know where I'd go with this. But then the the one with the ad agency in New York, though, I knew eventually I would leave. But I'd I'd been at that job three months, and I was as much as I hated the environment, I was learning a lot. So moving to New York, you know, that was. That was everything. Yeah, I want to go into the New York part, but I do have one last question of the before, the pre-New York. It's so interesting. So you were doing marketing, then you were, then you went to volunteer and you were doing social work, and then you were going to get your social work degree. Which I, did you get it? I got it. Wait, so you went and did that, and yet then you went back to marketing at an ad agency. How did you make that decision of not pursuing more in social work or in that world. So you hear how this comes full circle now because yeah. I am now transitioning, expanding my career and I, depending on who I'm talking to, I say I'm pivoting back or I'm returning to of healthcare and health innovation. So because I went to get the degree and it was a work study program, so it was this, this did it at McGill called a special BSW because I already had my undergraduate degree and work experience. Anyone in that program had an undergrad degree of experience, but if you wanted to get a master's in social work, you had to get the bachelor's first. I got it. Also, I wanted to learn. I really did want to learn because a lot of stuff I was learning on my own. And I wanted the validation and I wanted to open new career opportunities. It was intense, which I like the intensity. I like the fact that we had five classes plus three days a week of stage or field work. I was in hospitals. Also dealing with family and friends who were going through some really major health issues. So after all that time of having volunteered and then consulted and worked and then in school, which is two to three years, I don't remember exactly how long it was. It was longer in some ways. And it was intense. I realized that the clinical part for me, it was emotionally emotional overload because I was dealing with it both with family and friends and work. So there was no separation and also when you learn about your personality one of my seven strengths finder strengths is positivity i'm very much that rah-rah cheerleader you know inspo quote you can do it look at the the glass not only half Mm. full but we're having a cocktail party now (laughs) like we could all have glasses half full we're having a cocktail party (laughs) there's no negative there so for me that constant pain and 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 agony and emotional I, I couldn't stay in it clinically. Okay. That makes sense. Right. Knowing when you are, like, is it, should I quit my job or should I got laid mm-hmm. off? Then it's where you take what you already have. Right. Even if you don't want to do the exact same thing. So for me, pharmaceutical advertising just seems to be a good fit because I had the combination of the healthcare and the marketing and the business with the clinical knowledge. So, and the creative background. But then, which then brought me to New York for an agency. It was great. Even though those three months were horrific. I mean, I'm working till midnight, like every night for three months. It was not a healthy work environment. It was toxic. But all that experience helped me get that job in New York. So tell me how you ended up in New York. Um, and it was, in fact, my father who said this to me. And interestingly, he he said a couple of things to me in different times of my life where it was just an idea and it was a suggestion but he knew that that would possibly interest me and he's like how would you like to work in New York on Broadway like I never thought of it it was he didn't have a job for me or anything on his area 
I said, that sounds really cool. Why do you ask? He goes, oh, I know a guy. That, that was it. And I realized now, because that was all I needed, was an idea and one name. And I called the guy and he gave me, and he said, set up a bunch of meetings, tell people you're in town for those four days. The information interview part, I kind of had down, but he also gave me, you know, he told me there was production agencies and it gave me the lay of the land. And so I set up all those meetings. Now there was one, supposedly there was actually a job, but I showed up and they said, no, there's no job. I was like, I confirmed this interview three days ago, but whatever. Again, you got to roll with the punches. And then I went across the street to this information interview that as we're talking, became a job. He said, you know, we might actually need some, like, I can see you working here. And so, so it was also taking a chance. I didn't quit having a safety net or a landing pad or anything specific. It was just go forward towards the next thing. What interests me? What can I do that is fun and meaningful and, and different and a change? And so now, full circle, while I've been coaching and consulting and speaking around networking as, as the anchor, and that's my passion, I'm going after something new now. I'm going into health innovation. There's femtech and health tech and sex tech, and I've been welcomed into this community because it brings together my social work, clinical background, art, storytelling, the branding and the marketing, the networking of bringing people together, the advocates of inequities and inequities around health. So it, it just seemed like such a natural progression. But in mm-hmm. some ways, I haven't quit Fireball now. But when people look at what I'm posting now, it isn't hardcore like hire me as a coach, hire me as a speaker, hire me to deliver a workshop, which... I absolutely am pitching. I want people to hire me so I can do the work I want. But I have repositioned it into dating and relationships and health and wellness. So my entire brand used to be hot and cold and fireball this and that. And now it's networking is not a one night stand. How do you rebrand yourself? Taking advice from other people. I was talking to this woman who I ended up hiring to help me with my LinkedIn, even though I help my clients with their LinkedIn, you know, you can't coach yourself, right? I wrote, yeah, you wrote, yeah, yeah. You wrote a post, uh, trying to write your own LinkedIn profile is like trying to give yourself a Brazilian bikini wax. You can't see any of the important parts clearly. Painful. <laughs> oh and by the end of it, you're curled up in the corner screaming and crying and questioning all your life choices. As you talk about rebranding it would be great if you could share some tips about linkedin i know that's something i struggle with uh if you see my linkedin you probably have zero clue what who i am well i've already told you we should work <laughs> i know you and i know that when i look at it it's accurate but it's so bland <laughs> and you are not bland marisol you are not and you're when we saw each other in new york you were hosting this fireside chat with I don't know if he's executive director, director of programming for Planned Parenthood from DC. Yeah, he's their chief diversity. It was amazing. You were in your element. You were totally natural, bringing out the best in someone else and bringing out issues. That's why this podcast for you is perfect. And you've always been someone who brings other people together and amplifies messages and advocates in your own way with your personality and your skill sets, right? A lot of us are in the business of amplifying and advocating, whether for money or because you care about it. 
So yeah, your brand, like, and this is advice to any woman, anyone on LinkedIn, but especially women, people of color, you know, not the like typical groups that are getting the money and the attention without even doing anything for it. But, and it goes back to your, how do you know what your strengths are? How do you build that confidence? How do you get out of your comfort zone? We have to create, articulate and design our brands and put them out there for people to see. No matter how shy or scared, oh, if we brag, they're going to accuse us of bragging or who does she think she is or, oh, that's, I'm not really that good. Fake it till you make it. Act as if you have faith and faith shall be given to you. It's not faking it, but it is presenting something. It's like, I'm wearing makeup now. You saw because I was like, I need five minutes to do my face. My words will not be any different. I will still have this personality, but you know, the makeup at least, you can see my eyebrows and eyelashes and lipstick. Like, it just gives it a little oomph. Look like being behind a blank wall, right? Now there's something. It, it's presentation and also it's messaging. So of all the things in your career, what do you want people to know about you now? Because it may, you don't have to talk about, about a career progression and a chronology. It's more, where are you going now? What do you want people to know about you now based on what you want to do? And even if you're not sure what you want to do, you put that out there. It's, you don't get what you deserve. You get what you demand. True. And, and I think I learned this at an elevated event or somebody else. Because nice girls don't get the corner off. It's just sitting back, well, you know, I deserve it, so they'll give it to me. No, you have to demand it. You have to ask for what you want. And this shy, meek, insecure girl who never asked for what she wanted. Everyone else came first. Finally learning. In business, you have to learn. If you're an entrepreneur or if you're in a company, you want a promotion, a raise, a project, a mentor. You want to go to a conference and you want your boss to pay for it. You have to learn how to make that case and ask for it. So ask other people who are smarter and more experienced. Ask experts for advice on how to do that. Practice it. Like even walking up to total strangers for me wasn't always 100% natural. Now it is almost always natural. If, if, if anything, I'm like... Talk to me, people. <laughs> but it is that sense of, okay, you, you still have to practice. Like it, and it gets easier once you become muscle memory. You learn the emotional techniques or tricks, the strategic intellectual techniques or tricks, and then the practical ones. And that's how I frame networking or pretty much anything, right? It's why are we scared of it? Why are we excited about it? What's stopping us? Why are we doing it? And then strategically, okay. What are you asking for? What's the case? Whether it's you're pitching to VCs or in my case, I'm pitching to a new industry and I'd like to come work with and for you and you don't know me, but so all these messages I lead with social work, marketer, comedian. Now, nowhere on my LinkedIn profile does it even talk about my social work background, which I need to start adding back into that mix. That's how your story is coming. Yeah, it's all comes together. So whether it's you or someone else, what you did 20 years ago may or may not be relevant. It doesn't matter that it was 20 years ago. It's still you and your talents and your experience and your accomplishments or your learning, your growth. So in my case, the way my LinkedIn profile has completely changed is it says now at the top, networking is not a one-way stand. And, and I would have never put that there except for this young woman who I hired to help me with my LinkedIn and how to write for LinkedIn she said, oh my God, that's a great line. You should put that on your header. 
You should put that on there. I was like, really? She goes, yeah. And it's now an anchor. I started going with the branding of, okay, networking is about relationships. I already casually talk about the the links between dating and networking, right? Mm -hmm. Compare and contrast. And every so often. But I just, I went all in. Like once I, I found it fun and it was just, it wasn't still hot, cold, hot, cold. It was all with, the, and people were already asking about my life, my dating life, and I talk about it in comedy. And my brain just goes there. So like, you know, the bikini wax post, people are like, oh my God, that's a visual I didn't know I needed. <laughs> but here's the thing. It's me. It's, it was fun to write because just my comedy goes there. My personality goes there. You know, if someone's not comfortable with that, it, they shouldn't have a brand that they're not comfortable with. But with my clients, for example, one of them, she loves nature. It's every every reference that, she though? makes, every analogy, everything she does in her free time has to do with nature. I'm like, let's bring that into your brand. Everyone's something unique, though, right? Because whatever you do, your your brand could be based on something you like to do personally. Okay, I'm dating. It's not like it's a hobby, <laughs> you know. And and I do joke. I said, I say, I I've been doing dating for so many years for for so long i've gotten my ten thousand hours then <laughs> okay so now working lessons from a single woman welcome to my ironic ted talk <laughs> I'm like i'm an expert in teaching people how to build meaningful long-term relationships i've also been single most of my adult life like what what am i doing right or what am i doing wrong like it's funny it's a and it and it, i will use humor because it attracts people and it normalizes it and it's just natural for me. But for you, let's say, what are things in your life, in your work that keep rec- recurring themes? Is it nature? Is it travel? Is it food? With, with one of my clients, we came up with a whole food analogy and everyone can relate to food. Now, I'm a horrible cook. I've set fire to my kitchen, but food is one, right? If you're, if you're, people who are into sports, right, and talk about sports as an analogy, maybe it's part of their brand. It's fine for me, finding that in someone else's brand is what's fun. It's your strengths, it's your experiences, it's what you're teaching, it's what resonates with you. It can be based on colors, styles. I was going to ask you if you've ever been scared when you when you left uh, something. I've been scared so many times. Sure. No one's never not scared. I mean, how honest do you want me to get? Like, I'm talking, you know, I'm, I'm talking about being honest and vulnerable I'm terrified that I'm not going to be able to have the type of career I want going forward. I'm terrified that I won't find meaningful work that pays me what I need to support. That's my biggest fear. I, I can look at everything I want and then say I'm terrified I won't get it. And especially because I am over 50, I am technically Canadian, um, my background is very eclectic. So I look at job descriptions and I say, no one's ever going to hire me for that job description because I don't fit the criteria. And yet we also all know that the response to that is you apply anyhow, right? It's women don't think they have the criteria or you reframe it, tailor it, customize it. Or what I do is I just reach out to people and say, I'd like to talk to you. Instead of applying to the jobs, I build the relationships because that I'm not scared of. But Anyone who says they're not scared, that that's the, oh, Lord, give me the confidence of a mediocre white man. I, I don't know anyone who says you just, yes, you're scared, but you have to do it anyhow. Also, the price of not doing it is worse than doing it 
like taking the risk. But I, I'm terrified that I'm going to not get back to New York, that I'm going to be hustling for clients, friends, and a life partner for the rest of my life because I do that now every day. I can also reframe that and say, I am someone who knows how to make friends. And anytime I quote a hustle or make the first move, and I will make the first move, whether it's a friend, romantic, business, because I've realized it's not weakness, it's a gift. So that helped me reframe it. Like, and the word, what's the worst that can happen? I say no. Yes, therapy definitely helps to figure out the source of the fear, what's realistic, what isn't. And gratitude helps. So when I say I'm scared I'm going to be alone the rest of my life and depressed forever, then I can say, well, you may be feeling depressed right now. And you may not have all of your best friends around you, but look at what you do have. And that takes the fear away. Or look at what you've already done. Like, I've made it through three years out of New York. I'm still standing. I'm still moving forward. I'm still relatively sane and optimistic. But I think if we didn't have fears, we wouldn't be. I mean, the only people who don't have fears or care or you know, worry are, are psychopaths. So, <laughs> that's, that's exactly what I was thinking. But also asking friends for help. Even if it's a listening ear or, hey, I'm scared that X, Y, Z, can you give me some advice? Can you listen? Can you, I mean, I'm scared to cook. That is a very big fear. I, I've set fire to things. It is partly irrational fear because I don't do it every single time. I just end up cooking something that tastes terrible because it's either completely overcooked or I give myself food poisoning. Even as a little example of, so I got to keep doing it more and more to get past the fear, like exposure therapy. And, and there's other, you know, big things I'm scared of, but like having certain conversations with certain people, just do it. And trying the little feeling in your stomach gets a little easy, less. And like I did a couple of things in the past couple of weeks and months that I was terrified to do, but I forced myself to do it. I realized it wasn't as scary in real life as I made it out to be. Or it was. And I did it. And I'm... and you did it. And I think coming full circle to my very first question, that's how you build that confidence too, right? Yeah. Just by doing. And from and a doing. professional standpoint, like, was I scared that nobody would respond to me? Eh, I, I was concerned. But every time someone said, sure, I'd be happy to take a phone call. I got my first client from a single phone call where I, you know, she asked me for my opinion and I was just, can I be honest? And I just like said that that mark that sponsorship package is horrible. I was like, there's great stuff in it, but it's just too many words and too many pages and too many pictures and too many options. I was like, it just and she's like, Can I hire you? I said, Yeah. And I was like, Oh my God, I just got hired my first client like within a few weeks. So as every little win or big win or every so I, I do believe in looking for the signs and finding the signs. Mm -hmm. You know, there, I'm sure there's, I can come up with the analogies around safety nets. Like, I, I'm scared of heights. That's why I was born short. <laughs> but but I was scared of heights. But I also took trapeze classes in New York. And I love that. After trapeze lesson, I crossed the street to go home, stepped off the curb and twisted my ankle, and I could barely walk for six weeks. It wasn't the trapeze that injured me. It was stepping off the corner to walk home. You know, it didn't stop me from going back again or from walking again. Yeah, we, we pick ourselves back up. 
Thank you, Dina. Thank you for listening to Shit, I Just Quit My Job. I hope you found this conversation useful and inspiring and maybe got a laugh or some ideas out of it. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe. It means the world to me. Please share with your friends. 